Hello, and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. I want to continue talking about the turning points of church history. I find this really interesting. I hope you do as well. Just fleshing out what has happened since when the Bible ended and how we got here today. And it is a long road and lots of important and interesting things happened along the way. And it's important for me to remember, for us to remember that, you know, it's not like God only started working in the church when I was born. He has been working through all of the ages of the church, through all the centuries of the church, through every situation of the church. He's working. And so it's so important to see what God has accomplished and done in the church. And I don't think that everything the church has ever said is true or right. That's impossible. Uh, I do think everything is meant to be weighed by Scripture and judged by Scripture. That's the whole point of Scripture. God has given us these words from the Holy Spirit, these letters from the Holy Spirit, which are our rule. And so I totally believe in the canon. You know, that was a few weeks ago we were talking about the canon. I believe in the canon, and the canon is meant to be continually reforming and correcting the church as it goes on its journey until the return of Christ. But it is so good for us to see what other Christians have been doing throughout church history. And so we just completed the Council of Nicaea, which was a turning point for two reasons. Number one is it hammered out that the church's orthodox teaching was going to be to confess that Jesus Christ is God. The same way that the Father is God, distinct, but, you know, not a creature. He is God, begotten from all eternity, uh, an eternal begetting of the Son, and not created at any point. As well as we saw, it was the first time that the Roman emperor intervened in the matters of the church for the sake of the church's good, instead of just to persecute or contend with the church. And so we're going to skip forward about a hundred years to the Council of Chalcedon, or Chalcedon. And in this council, what they were doing is they wanted to discuss, debate, and come out with a confession about how it is that Jesus could be both fully God and fully man. All right, so the church knows that Jesus was a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary. This is the confession from the Apostles' Creed. Right from the beginning, nobody doubted that he was a man. And then... But there's enough stuff in the scripture pointing towards him being so much more than a man that the church had to acknowledge that the scripture teaches that Jesus was also fully God. And so, of course, the question comes next is, how did this work? How is it possible that Jesus could be fully God and fully man? And I just want to go to the Bible to show us that these are valid scriptural beliefs and questions, and that it wasn't just the church going haywire or becoming a loose cannon. So I'm going to go to the Gospel of John, and I'm going to read us a few verses, okay, from the very opening of the Gospel of John. So John writes this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's the first verse, and already we get a picture. This is Jesus. He's going to tell us this is Jesus. And we have this word that is with God and is God. How is that possible? And that's kind of what the Council of Nicaea was about. Jesus is with God and is God. So he's with the Father as well as being God. And so they hammered out, yeah, he is the same, you know, Godness of the Father, but but distinct in an important way from the Father. All right? And so this is just John. This isn't just the council making up stuff. This is talking about what John was teaching. And a few verses later, John teaches this. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is the thing, okay? So the Council of Nicaea was about kind of John 1.1, and the Council of Chalcedon was about John 1.14. How is it possible that this word that was with God and is God became flesh? became a human being and dwelt amongst us, and especially in a life that 
everybody, hundreds and thousands of people met and listened to and touched. And nobody thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm touching Yahweh here. They, they, the, he was a true man. How is it possible that this word that was with God and is God could be a true man? And so this is really what that council was about. And of course, the debate didn't just spring up out of nowhere. There had actually been some really hard debating and some tense debating around this council. And so what was going on here was, you know, there's so many factors. And this story of the Council of Chalcedon, I can't get into all the details. I don't, I don't even think I know all the details, but it was so tense and so political and so many things going on. It really is a lesson of God accomplishing the good of the church in the midst of crazy times. Like, the, for, for, one, for instance, one of the factors that was going on was that there was this one emperor who kind of leaned towards the side of not affirming Jesus' true humanity, if I, if I understand it right, kind of downplaying his true humanity. And then he died. And his wife um, became kind of empress and married a guy named Marcian, not Marcian, but Marcian, a different guy. And... He was, through conversations with his wife, way to go wife, um, was sympathetic to what would be the orthodox position or the biblical position that uh, Jesus Christ perfectly combines true deity, true godness with true humanity, true manness in himself without confusing it or um, or degrading either one of these things. And so that was kind of the, t- the options that God debated. Um, was God more truly God than man? And his manness was kind of just a little bit added to him, but he wasn't truly man. Was Jesus truly man and not truly God so that his godness was somehow degraded or not the real deal? And so the council was coming together and to, to affirm something. And they didn't really try to affirm an explanation of it. The doctrine of the incarnation, as we call it now, um, the truth that Jesus was fully God and fully man is impossible to, to explain. Nobody can explain how that works, but it's not impossible to describe the boundaries of what we need to be talking about in order to be an orthodoxy. And this is what this council did, and it was really heavily influenced by this Roman bishop named Leo, who wrote, uh, they call it Leo's Tome, about this. And really what he just described is, you know, you can say this, but you can't say this. You can say this, but you can't say this. How is it possible that Jesus being God got tired? How is it possible that Jesus being a man upholds all things by the word of his power? Um, And he would describe these things. And the Council of Chalcedon just kind of gave us a boundary that said, you know, if you go outside of these descriptions of Jesus, you're, you're not believing the truth. And so it was a really pivotal council and just solving one of the fundamental questions about Jesus. Is he truly God? Yes. Is he truly man? Yes. How does it work? We don't totally know, but these are the boundaries of belief that if you walk outside of, you no longer confess the truth of scripture. Now, why does this matter? Is, is this just a mess? Is this just people being upset for being upset sake? Well, they were upset. There was one bishop, and I think he was in Antioch, and he said, you know, if I agreed to the Council of Chalcedon, I'm going to get killed. And it was true. About six years later, there was an angry mob that killed him because he affirmed something about Jesus. And so these were tense times, but this is the reality. What we believe about God is the most important thing we believe. What we believe about God, which also determines what we believe about ourselves, is the most important thing we believe. And so they're fighting about the most fundamental truth. And if Jesus isn't truly God, how can we worship him? 
If he's not truly God, then it would be idolatry to worship him. If he's a created thing, it's idolatry to worship him. But if he's not truly man, how does he save us? How does he die in our place? He can't be a true sacrifice for humanity and thereby start a new humanity, a resurrected humanity, if he's not fully man like us. He can't really deal with human sin if he wasn't human. And so these are kind of the boundaries. And if either one of these truths get lost, the faith gets lost, and Christianity isn't Christianity anymore, it degrades into some kind of paganism, and the grace and power of God and of the gospel is lost. So that's why this is really important. This council, the Council of Chalcedon in 451, um, came together, and by the mercies of God, came together with a statement that guarded against the error of taking away from Jesus the fact that he was truly God, or taking away from Jesus the fact that he was truly man. And this was a turning point in church history. Be blessed.